Hey everyone, welcome to today's high score, our weekly call-in show here at Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Uh, I present topics, you guys call in and give me your take on them. It's your chance to be a part of our content. Uh, if you want to call in and be a part of the show, get Skype fired up. You can use it on your phone, you can use it on a tablet, you can use it on your PC, whatever. Um, you can come in with just audio if you want. We prefer video, but just audio is fine. And you can get at us at Sifted Games, S-I-F-T-D, Games. Been a crazy week for games. Gamescom is over. Everyone who is at Gamescom is now flying home, flying across the Atlantic, back to the U.S. Uh, it was a great Gamescom. In fact, it was maybe the best Gamescom ever. It was the 10th anniversary this year of Gamescom. Um, Time has flown right on by. I'm sure you guys all remember when Gamescom was the hot new kid on the block and the, the first new gaming convention in a really long time. Uh, it's been 10 years. The show has grown exponentially year over year. This year's attendance, to make sure I get this right, I have all the data here. This year's attendance was 370,000 people. Just try to even fathom that. So the biggest football stadiums in America, college football stadiums like Ohio State, Penn State, they hold like 90,000. Most NFL stadiums hold around 60,000. So think about that. Multiply the biggest NFL stadium in the U.S. by six times. That's how many people were at Gamescom. And I would add, Gamescom is kicking E3's butt in so many ways, but not the least of which is logistics. E3 gets 15 or 20,000 of the general public into the show, and it's a total CF. If you don't know what CF is, I think you can figure it out. Gamescom can handle almost 400,000. It just shows you that the logistics in Germany for that show are, they're taking the ESA to school. They're showing the ESA how to do the modern video game convention. And the ESA, clueless. Speaking of the ESA, this week I got an email in my sifted email box. And it was from some, I don't even know who it was from, to be honest with you. But they were reaching out to the people whose information was compromised by the ESA with all the E3 stuff that was found and leaked out. And it was a short questionnaire. And basically, they were get, trying to get you to sign up for the class action lawsuit that's coming against the ESA over them leaking information. I have a couple issues with this. The biggest issue I have is getting blackballed from E3. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at this survey, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I was a part of it. Yeah, I've probably been damaged in some way. But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, ESA is going to know all the journalists who signed up for this class, this class action lawsuit. And I would not put it above them at all to blackball those people from E3 going forward if they join the class action lawsuit. So the other part of it is they ask you, were you financially impacted by the leaks? The thing is, you have no, no idea. There's no way to know whether you lost money, time, whatever, because of someone getting my information from the ESA 
or whether it was from the Equifax breach. There's no way to know. My identity was stolen, and I went through a six-month process with Verizon to try to get it taken off my credit. So yes, I've been damaged. I have had, I've been out of work. I've spent entire half days getting my credit fixed where I wasn't working. So I've lost money. I've lost time. But how do you know whether it was from the ESA or Equifax or any of the billions of other data leaks? How do you know? So I didn't sign the questionnaire. As of right now, I am not a part of the class action lawsuit against the ESA. Um, they could have done a better job with the survey. And in all honesty, I started looking at it and I was like, this could be phishing. This could be somebody who got the email list from the leak and then they're phishing us to try to get us to give them more information. It, in the digital age, it's hard to trust anybody. So I didn't do any of it. I looked at it and I closed it and I probably won't go back. Uh, thanks to everyone who's subscribing with Twitch Prime. Veritas, thank you. Danny Boy 90 thank you. Johnny Hurricane, thank you, man. I hope you're doing well. But anyway, let's get back to Gamescom. It was an amazing Gamescom. Um, we tend to put Gamescom on a lower shelf than E3, but I don't know if we should really start looking at it that way. So I will say this. Gamescom's pretty much over. There'll be a couple more stragglers, pieces of content that are attached to Gamescom, but it's over. And right now, Gamescom, our Gamescom tag, which is what puts everything onto the Gamescom hub at Sifted, is about 65 to 70% of what we did at E3 2019. And the biggest difference I see between E3, because I've been looking at this stuff, biggest difference I see between E3 and Gamescom is E3 had a lot more indies, like a ton of indies. Gamescom had some, but not as much. And consequently, the indies that were there actually stand out. I remember them. At E3, it's just this deluge of low-budget games, and they all get lost in the shuffle. At Gamescom, really the focus was on the big stuff. And that's the way I like it. I think that's the way most of you guys like it, too. Uh, so like I said, attendance, 370,000 people. Uh, for us, it was the most content for a Gamescom ever. It beat last year's Gamescom, which actually had dipped down a little bit from 2017. But it crushed 2017, 2016, and obviously 2018. So the most content we've ever curated for a Gamescom. It was the biggest ever. But I want to hear what you think about Gamescom. And you can go anywhere here. I'll give you some framework. The easy way to call in is just to tell us what you liked the most from Gamescom and what you disliked the most from Gamescom. But feel free to riff on the show however you want. You can talk about Gamescom compared to E3. There's a lot of angles you can take. And here we have our first caller. Hello, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have on the phone? It's uh, Matt. What's up, Matt? How's it going, man? Good, I have called in before. You have. Are you uh, having a good Saturday? Yep. Yep. What are you doing today besides watching today's high score? Uh, just been playing video games. Which game? Uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Ah. Are you, I think you mentioned this last week, but I'm not sure. Are you a new recruit to that now that they're having like that free no, trial? I've been, 
I've been playing on and off since Heaven's Ward, so basically not okay. last expansion, but the expansion before that. Oh, okay. You know what? I have a I have an announcement to make. I finally finished Fire Emblem Three Houses last night. <laughs> nice. My final clock count was ninety three hours. Now, again, I don't think that that's accurate. I definitely didn't play it for ninety three hours, but my final clock when I got done was ninety three hours. Also, I might add. A really disappointing ending after all of that time. But anyway, what? How do you feel about Gamescom? Do you want to take the more structured approach and talk about what you liked and I mean, didn't like? I guess before we get there, there is one thing to compare. When you're comparing Gamescom, the E3, the ESA is a shit show. There is no doubt about it. E3 is just a bad event. So this isn't defending E3 at all. When I say this, okay. But Gamescom is held in a town that is literally designed, the literal purpose, the literal existence of the town it is held in is to hold conventions. You're right. I mean, Cologne is, I mean, it's, I wouldn't go that far. Cologne is an old city. It's been it's around for city, centuries. But it, but it has been mostly renovated over the last yeah. couple decades. For the specific purpose of holding large-scale events. No, you're right. All the public transit, everything, it all feeds right into the convention center. But look, we're talking about Los Angeles, a city that's designed, should be designed, to handle tons of traffic. And obviously the traffic in L.A. is legendary. Everyone knows it's terrible. That is not a wives' tale, by the way. That is absolutely true. <laughs> but we're not, it's not like Los Angeles is like this third-world country or anything. Are you Honestly, there? have you been to LA before? No, I haven't. No intention of going. Why? The old, the just I've seen enough of LA and even San Francisco to be like no desire to go there. The only place on the West Coast I've actually been is uh, Seattle. Okay, were you there for and PAX? For, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I figured. This will be my sixth year. Oh, so you're going this year again? Yeah. Don't be too harsh on L.A. L.A.'s a great city, man. I wouldn't live here if, if it wasn't awesome. Because uh, I've lived in rural areas, Philadelphia, San Francisco, L.A. I've been all over the East Coast. Back when I used to DJ, I played in cities all over. The, I've been in all of them. And in my opinion, L.A. is the best city in America. I'm sure people will have issues with that. but yeah, I grew up in New York City. so uh... I've spent – I can't tell you how much time I've spent in New York City. Yeah. Just – Days and days and days and days. Yeah. But, like, Gamescom as a whole, like, Gamescom is a weird situation where Gamescom used to be basically the ability to show the European press or the European press that couldn't make it out to E3 what was at E3. And it's looking like it's start because of just how much of a mess E3 is. It's starting to shift where Gamescom is starting to be where they reveal stuff. And then, oddly enough, using PAX to show it to the North American press. Yeah, PAX in a lot of ways is becoming a spot for a lot of indies to debut their games. Because I think yeah. people expect that from PAX. I think a lot of people tune into PAX coverage specifically because they know that's when a lot of the big indies get announced. Yep, PAX is, PAX is an interesting spot, place, because it's both indies and sort of, how do I put this, double-A devs. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of their place to shine. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which I can't really say anything bad about that, because that's most of my gaming diet of the last few years. 
What you generally play like B level games? Yeah, I just indies? because here's the thing. I will take an interesting game interesting gameplay and interesting idea over pure polish any day of the week. Yeah, AAA games are polished, but I find them capital B boring. <laughs> no, I'd agree with that. And I think I said something like that on uh Game Face this past week, where it's just, you look back at this generation, or no, it was on today's high score last week, I believe. You look back at this generation, and what? Can you really pluck out one game that was just crazy innovative, like we've had in prior generations? I can from the mid-tier space. I can't right, really right. from the like in, But I mean space. like a big budget game that got a ton of promotion and had a marketing budget and all that kind of stuff. Not really. <laughs> yeah, they're just playing it really safe. Yeah. Which then makes, again, things like PAX an interesting event. Like, I spend, yeah, there are, there are a couple occasional AAA games I may check out at PAX, but yeah, it's mostly going around the indie booths. Yeah, and I think a big part of PAX, too, is just the social part of it, getting to meet a bunch of yeah. other gamers who are awesome and making new friends and stuff like that. I, I think that almost as much as the indie and B-tier stuff is, is kind of the draw of PAX. Yep, PAX is, again design top to bottom as a sort of social event yep. it's also interesting if you pay attention just how because nobody is looking just how much industry stuff actually happens behind the scenes they're almost in almost down in public <laughs> oh no you're right um particularly again like indie like a lot of times indies will go into packs and not have a publisher and then they'll come out of packs with a publisher Yep. So there's all kinds of deals going on. Nintendo is there hunting for new indie games for its platform. Obviously, it has Nindies, that big event that it does at PAX every year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the industry has also kind of established PAX is that thing. But what do it's you think? The... Go ahead. You say as like, I think it's interesting in that, to me, like, Gamescom more or less is probably going to replace E3 in the next couple of years. Do you think it's going to become bigger than E3? Well, I mean, it's already bigger, but more relevant than E3. Yeah, like, I do because I just don't... The problem for me, and this has been the my perception of E3 for a few years now, is it costs too much for companies to go, and yeah. it doesn't seem like there's... A, a good ROI on E3. No. Whereas and for those listening, Gamescom, that means return on investment. Yeah. Gamescom, PAX, like I can think of many other shows that are both cheaper to attend for publishers, developers. All of them. All of them are cheaper to attend than E3. Yeah. <laughs> and have way better ROI. Yeah, because if you look at Gamescom, you're reaching the consumer. There's no middleman. And E3 is, like, inching towards that, but it's I think it's just done a terrible job of trying to get Honestly, to that place. Honestly, they just they – need, they need to copy Gamescom. They basically, for those who don't know, Gamescom basically has two areas. They have the show floor, which is public, and then they have an area for press. And press never go to the show floor. Yeah. Would you? <laughs> no. But, but – but from a from a logistics perspective, it makes far more sense to have an area to show stuff to the press and an area to show stuff to the general public and not have those two mix than what E3 does. So I see someone in chat here, Veritas, is saying uh, Gamescom will never be more relevant to the U.S. because of the time difference. How do you feel about that? 
maybe, and that is possible, but I think, but to me, there's definitely a narrow window where you could do things like press conferences that would let you hit both Europe and America. So you mean just find a time? I mean, they tried to do that with like the first day on Monday with Keeley's thing. Like it started at 8 a.m. Pacific, which is probably a little too early for West Coasters, but that's 11 a.m. Eastern. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, like I think that time slot works. I think you could do that. Also, again, I mean, if you think about it, E3 press events start at 9 a.m. Pacific. So it's only an hour earlier for Gamescom now. Yeah, it's an hour earlier. You hit Europe, you hit the U.S. It's cheaper, and honestly, you reveal it there. You if for the press that can't go to Europe, you use PAX to show it to the North American press. It was PAX announced that there's instead of only doing one day of early press, they're now doing all four yep. press in an hour each day before the public goes in to check stuff out. Yep. So what were your fa- what's your what was your favorite thing shown at uh, Gamescom 2019? Do you have something that you kind of picked yeah, out from the I whole mean, show? I like whatever. This is just because I actually like interesting shit, but Kerbal Space Program 2. Best definitely the best trailer from Gamescom without a doubt. <laughs> Uh, that trailer was amazing. Like, my wife even liked it. <laughs> That's, she's my barometer of, like, when stuff transcends things that we think are cool and stuff that will hit, like, a broader audience. She's like, my barometer. I, like, I suck at that game horrifically, but I like seeing what other people do in it. It is one of the most impressive things in terms of it is basically a physics sandbox. Here's an astrophysics sandbox. Do stuff. What do you, uh, yeah, that game has kind of a cult following, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's, uh, why do you think it's be, it's become a game that kind of resonates with a large group, but still not on the level of a AAA or big budget game? Do I need to say the word explosions? (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) Because, like, in in essence, that's what that thing is. It's not, like, when stuff happens and when they succeed, it's cool. But also just watching shit blow up is also cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, everybody likes to build stuff. Even adults will remember when they were kids. Like, for me, I'm old enough that, like, I built with Lincoln Logs. I don't even know if people know what that is now in 2019. But people, I mean, adults like to build cars. They like to build houses. They like to build, you know, like to construct stuff. Kids love it. They love Lego. They love all that kind of stuff. So this whole kind of era for games, to me, has kind of been the building era. I mean, you have obviously Minecraft is gigantic. You have Super Mario Maker. Um, a lot of these games that let you build stuff have become some of the most popular in the industry. Speaking of Minecraft, while it's not my thing, damn that uh, RTX version that NVIDIA and Microsoft are developing together looks amazing. It does look amazing. I mean, it kind of makes me forget about that high-definition pack that they were working on for two years and canned. (laughs) Which is probably why they canned it. They're like, oh, we're doing this great stuff with RTX. Why even bother with that anymore? That's my guess. Anyway. But listen, thanks for calling in, man. Uh, Have yourself a great weekend. And we we actually won't talk to you next week, and we're not doing this show next Saturday. But we'll see you the week after. Bye. Take care, man.
All right, call in. Phone lines open. Let us know what was your favorite thing about Gamescom and what was your least favorite thing about Gamescom. I know we can't get through this discussion until I talk to at least one of you guys about Death Stranding. All right, let's see who we got. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Look who we got. It's Mitch. Hey, what's up? What's up, brother? How's your Saturday going? Good. I uh, had a beer on the beer on print earlier today, so um, I'm all ready to go. Oh, do you guys actually drink beer while you record that? Uh, this episode, uh, actually, every single one of us was drinking beer oh, yeah? while we were recording the beer on print this week. People always ask me, and I can see other people are calling in right now, wait till our calls end and then call in. So when I finish with Mitch, that's your cue to try to call in. Yeah, I try not to drink when I work. Like, I know a lot of times people are like, people like podcasts where the hosts sit and get drunk. I don't know why that is. It's it's so bizarre. I can't tell you how many times people are like, why don't you guys drink on the show? You can. I remember when we did Invisible Walls, they're like, one-up show drinks on their show. Why don't you guys drink? And I was like, why do you want us to drink? It's very bizarre. But uh, it's good that you're keeping the spirit alive, Mitch. Yeah, I would tend not to think about that I'm drinking at the moment. I just, you know, take a sip of whatever <laughs> I'm drinking. It just happens. It's, it's like, hey, it's it's water, but it's not water. But it's let's not. Let's be honest. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, chances are you're not going to get drunk before the podcast is over unless you're a lightweight. Because how many beers can you really drink in an hour if you're also talking? Three, four, yeah. maybe? To be honest, I try to get through two, and that's hard just because you have yeah. to talk. And so you can't you can't be drinking when you're talking. So that, just, that is true. So, Mitch, you sat and watched Gamescom. What uh, what was the one thing that kind of caught your eye? And what was the one thing where you were like, oh, man, that's not a good showing? You know, it, it's really strange. I guess altogether, it's like I compare Gamescom to being like the sibling to E3. Okay. And so, you know, like E3 is the big brother. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, oh, big brother's really cool. And then all of a sudden big brother gets old and then younger brother becomes cool again. And so it seems like to me, Gamescom is starting to become the cooler brother where E3 is becoming the old man that no one cares about anymore. And so like some examples where, you know, they had a better showing of some games like Gears. Like it's like, holy cow. Why oh, wow. In the world yeah, I mean, oh, my God. Like the E3? showing of Gears at E3 compared to Gamescom is like in- insane. They, I mean, they must have data that says for some reason Gears is still big in Europe, but it's kind of get softening a bit in the U.S., yeah, I, I have no idea. I didn't know what they were thinking. We were making jokes on the Beyond the entire time on our post E3 going, if we were saying one game was disappointing, we'd just call it, it was the Gears of War of E3. And so it's just, it just, I, I mean, I think they showed more. I think they showed, showed even more than that, but that's just me. And, you know, I think the disappointing thing might be Death Stranding in the end. You know, I didn't expect very much. But the fact is, like, when he came out on stage, it was kind of deflating to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to show more at TGS, but I'll give you a little bit of something. It's like, then why are you even on stage, bro? Like, <laughs> I mean, just to show your P mechanic, is that really the thing that really makes it the the great exclusive you got there? I just, I was just so disappointed in that i was like this game is so interesting and i think uh, there's i mean he could have shown something way more different that would have made people contemplate so much more thought um in that game because that that game is just it's 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 just on another level i'm just i'm just so interested to 
I'm buying it, but it's because it's my interest is what's got me, not because I think it's going to be the best and most amazing game in the world. I'm just so curious on what the heck this thing is. Do you think we kind of know what it is at this point? I think we do, but I think the concepts are so deep. And do you think so, that's the uh, problem, though, is that we're all realizing now that we know what it is and we're not, we're kind of subconsciously not satisfied with it? Maybe, but I, I think the bigger thing is, you know, we we play games, but overall games have grown as such a, um, a media in regards to story structure, um, we can we can now talk about really complex things and really interesting elements to the point where I think at the moment with Death Stranding, it's kind of one of the most ambiguous, but yet, like if this was a film, people would be all over this thing. So I think it's more. I of think the that story might be the problem. The <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I totally agree. I think as a game, it might not turn out to be a great game, but I think the story the world, the concepts he's playing with might be intriguing enough to get you through it. Hmm. It's a, I don't know. I feel like there's this subconscious revolt going on because I think people want to love this game, but I feel like the more that we see of it, the harder and harder that becomes. I don't know. I I, I'm a gameplay first guy and watching the game play makes me not, become very excited for it, to be perfectly. It, every time I watch the game being played, I become less excited for it. Does that make sense? No, I can totally see that. It's like, it literally looks like a walking simulator. It does. Like a, a, a more high-end walking simulator with some extra elements. But obviously, we've seen things like gunplay involved in it. And, you know, who knows how much of this is really actually what the game is really like. And Oh, this is the game. I don't have any doubts about that. No, Once Kojima I mean, shows a game, that's the game. Once he showed Metal, the last Metal Gear, that's what the game was. Like Once he finally tells you this is what the gameplay loop is, this is what you'll be doing, it's usually the case. True. I, I, but I think at the same time, like every time he shows something, there's something new and different that we weren't expecting. And so who knows? Maybe he is holding tons of cards in his back pocket because mainly what he's showing right uh mainly right now is just concepts and story and characters and it's a really a character driven story that it makes me more curious on like i don't know if this is really fully what the game's gonna be but again it's all my interest is in curiosity more than like when i was playing something like you know spider-man i knew what i was getting this looked really fun and exciting gameplay i was excited about the story where in uh where in this case for this game it's really just curiosity that is really has me at this game at the moment and that's the only thing that's kept me along to be honest yeah, with you exactly. the weirdness no, it, because totally the more exactly. i see about the actual game the less i care Except when he hits the guy with the suitcase, I think it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> like right it's now, like, we're dude. seeing the clip of him trying to run from the guys with the cattle prods, and it's just yeah. so absurd. Like he's he's fist fighting with some guy right now with like eight hundred pounds of crap on his back. Like I don't know. It just seems a little bit of absurdity is is okay by me, but when it just does it for the sake of doing it, that's when I start to recoil a little bit. Yeah. So I, and who knows if this is just the very it beginning like maybe the first 
10, 15 hours of the game in that it all of a sudden opens up a lot more aspects. Cause you that see is things possible. Like a mortar- that is absolutely you do see possible. things like a motorbike that comes into play, which does kind of take away the walking away from the walking yeah. simulator type style. So who knows if this is just really beginning stuff and he doesn't want to give away what he has in the future for it. That's totally possible. So would you say Death Stranding went up your hype meter after Gamescom or went down? I think it's just the same. Just the same? <laughs> I, I think, I th- honestly, it was a gag for me. I thought it was hilarious, like, uh, with the whole, like, peeing mechanic. And then all of a sudden something grows when he pees on it. I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's... Uh, just give it a hint if you watch my bureau and I have a cool rumor that kind of relates to it that I thought was hilarious and we were dying but uh, it just I think it was I think it was just all running gags again is like I don't think it was needed like to be truthfully honest like he even pointed out like hey I'm saving a lot of this for TGS and I was like why are you on stage then is it just well, it's a, also bizarre you know, to love save Jeff something for TGS in 2019 that's insane like TGS has become so irrelevant and I get it He's a Japanese developer. He knows better than anyone the Japanese market is absolutely in the toilet. The console market, mobile, is gigantic. But traditional gaming, handheld console gaming right now is just, it's doing terrible in Japan. And he knows that. So I can understand where he wants to kind of revitalize the industry in Japan a little bit. But I don't know, man. Uh, but, it, I, but I also think that market an is so point small. With that it- I think there's an interesting point with that as well, though. But when you think about it, and again, the reason why I think E3 is becoming the older brother that no one cares about and Gamescom starting to become the young, cool, younger brother is that you see the companies are starting to expand in regards to stretching out the time they release content. Like each of these events, uh, Gamescom, you know, TGS might start becoming a little bit more relevant even more now because you know, they're not saving all their stuff for E3 anymore. It's like, hey, like, heck, Death Stranding showed up way before E3. We haven't seen anything of of uh, Last of Us Part Two, and that's supposed to come out in February. And who knows if that's going to have a big showing at TGS. And so, Oh, it won't. I, I can guarantee it will not. <laughs> but I, I guess and it shows the concept of Sony as well. Sony has decided not to put all their eggs in one basket in E3 anymore. They're going to take the time to, you know, show it in little spurts throughout the year. And these conventions, I think, are starting to, uh, I think will start becoming more relevant in that maybe E3, I mean, Gamescom might not overtake E3, but I think E3 and Gamescom might be on the same boat by the end of it because, you know, they're not going to put all, all their eggs in one basket anymore because of our connectivity of nowadays. Anyone can go online and look up this game instead of having to focus on the U.S. press to have the headlines of today for about what's happening at E3. Now they can just go to their website they want to go to to see their content, which hopefully it's sifted. But, you know, that's just my preference. Yeah. Uh, but, uh you know, they just uh, that it'll just be expanded more. And so people will have more opportunities to show off their game and be able to, you know, spread the info. They're doing it with Gears of War. Heck, they didn't show a big blowout at Gears. And now they decided now let's show some more information. They're going to show off story stuff next month when the game is supposed to be out next month. It seems like they're spreading more than just throwing all their eggs in one basket. Here's a question I have for you. What metric do we use to decide when, if it ever happens, that Gamescom has eclipsed E3 in relevance? Is it the number of games debuted, the number of people that show up to the convention? Is it the number of mentions on Twitter? What do you think is the best metric? 
when Keanu Reeves steps on that stage at Gamescom, that's the <laughs> moment you hit big. So you're saying when you see the publishers investing more money in what they're showing at Gamescom versus what they do at E3, is that accurate? I mean, well, if you think about uh, Keanu Reeves, he hit all the headlines. You he know, did. obviously they pushed the money towards it to be a big spectacle, but yet you had Keanu Reeves step on stage. He stole every every headline, movies. Like I watch movie podcasts all the time, and they were talking about this. Some of them even created single videos about Keanu Reeves and his renaissance in the movie industry and then relating it into the games industry when he stepped on stage at E3. So when you capture a headline like that and it crosses multiple uh, multiple industries like it does, that's when you've hit it big. That's when you know if it has either been this, if, if E3 doesn't pull that headline and Gamescom does, that's when you know Gamescom has taken over of what E3 was. Fair enough. I'll take that. Well, listen, thanks, Mitch. Another great call as usual. Uh, have yourself a great Saturday, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You too. Take care, man. See ya. See ya. Another great call. Two great calls about Gamescom. Let's get someone else in here. You guys are starting to figure it out. As soon as I hang up with Mitch, someone else is here. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have? Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and look who it is, our voiceover guy, Mike's Q. Hello. For those of you who don't know, he is handling our voiceover for our Sifted Countdowns going forward. He did the Gamescom one, he did the E3 uh, I one. I hear you, Shane. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can you can hear me? Looks like we lost him. Let's see, I'll try it again. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? It doesn't sound like it. Uh, I can only hear you in the most uh, far, far away voice. Hold on a second. <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you great. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, I can't hear you at all through Skype. Interesting. Um, oh, that's unfortunate. That's weird. Hold yeah, on, Mitch didn't have a, a problem. I'm surprised none of you guys just caught up and said, this is my favorite thing. This is the thing I hated. But these discussions are better. I usually put stuff like that out there just to encourage people to call oh, in oh. and make it easy. There we go. There we go. There we you go. You got me? Yep. I got you now. Skype had uh, decided to use uh, the audio settings for my graphics card instead of oh. my sound card. So. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. All I was. Let's see. There we go. No. No, I had my yeah had my camera on. What's your, yep, so um, what's your take on Gamescom? First of all, tell us something that impressed you from Gamescom and something that you were disappointed by. Um, I was just actually impressed at how much attention various outlets were giving to Gamescom this year in particular. It's, it seemed like everyone kind of had the wind that hey, like a little bit more attention's being paid. People are actually gathering around it more than they have in the past and so different outlets like easy ally sending kyle bossman to uh, like to go cover stuff though i mean partially that's because he was working with keely but um him uh doing anything outside of his apartment or the easy allies headquarters <laughs> uh, is is itself um uh a noteworthy occurrence and uh, look uh, i would say this and i am i'm not proud of this but i probably am 
one of the more astute game journalism watchdogs just because of what we do on sifted and i see mm -hmm. all the content that every outlet publishes not all of it ends yep. up on sifted in fact probably 85 to 90 percent of the content that all these publications are putting out does not end up on sifted because we curate it and we try to bring you guys the best stuff but mm -hmm. As far as outlets going to Gamescom this year and having a big presence, it was way lower this year. IGN. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. IGN had live streaming all to itself. It was the only U.S. publication that did live streams from Gamescom this year. And last year, GameSpot was there. I believe, like, Shaq News went to Gamescom last year. Um, so okay. this year, it actually cut back. IGN had a monopoly. If you wanted to watch live streams and you don't want to deal with, like, the official streams where the people on there are basically marks, like Nintendo, mm -hmm. Sony, and Microsoft, if you wanted real commentary, although I think some people would argue you don't really get that with IGN sometimes either, but if yep. you wanted some semblance of real commentary, the only place you could get it was IGN this year. And I don't know why that yeah. is, because Gamescom's getting bigger. You'd think that would incentivize more outlets although yeah. we're going to talk easy, about some of that allies, stuff a little later easy allies did do live easy allies did do live commentary on the day of like the opening night live and the different things so they did do that coverage but as far as after day one which i guess was monday or whatever monday was day one started, yeah yeah after day one they did not do anything anything live at least yeah um so yeah so ign's i guess uh continued coverage um going through was fairly lonesome but so what I was going to say about Gamescom is that uh, also, I guess, what was surprising to me, and at least was how much, like, legitimate, um, uh, I guess, announcements or trailers and other stuff like that that went on throughout that first day with Microsoft, um, the Nintendo the Nintendo press conference, whatever you want to call it, and uh, Jeff's opening night live. Because what I'm used to, at least in my mind, maybe that's not completely accurate, but the Gamescom stuff being a little bit more like year one PC gaming show. Yeah. Where it's 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 doing a lot of stuff, but it's talking about a lot of things like, oh, this game that's already out. That I honestly continue. felt like Keeley's show was like the PC gaming show. Except there was so it, 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 much it felt, throwaway it felt, in that. Like, it, yeah, it didn't was. need to be two hours. Yeah, correct. Um, but it was closer to, like, year two or year three PC gaming right. show versus yeah, yeah. year one. Because year, year one, one was, was like, pretty abysmal oh, for the PC oh, it was like three, It was three and a half hours of AMD ads and... Um, and, I honestly uh, didn't think they'd do it again after that first year. So I do no, commend I them for yeah. sticking to it because now yeah. it's much better and it's a success. At least they didn't quit, right? But here, here's yeah, here's the thing. Like contrasting E3 and Gamescom, it looks like Gamescom is getting so much more traction. But the thing is, it doesn't have the pedigree or the traditional hype that E3 does. So here, here's the thing. E3 had what you said, fifteen, seventeen thousand people. No, that was just how many of the public they lend. Like E3 was actually oh, okay. sixty thousand total. Okay, okay, year. all right. That, that that makes a little bit more sense. That's why uh, I said I... six times E3 to get to gotcha. the amount gotcha. of Gamescom. Because um, and so it's so it still is a large conference, still very large conference. Oh, yeah. E3 is for sure. Um, but games, it's 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 funny. Gamescom has so much more people that actually attend it, but people 
but uh, the people sitting at home expect more of E3 than they do of Gamescom. Gamescom is a much bigger deal for people actually attending, whereas like every year, people have like uh, top ten reasons why you should just stay home and watch E3 instead of going. Like, like there's so many reasons for why not to actually go to E3. But Gamescom, there it's, are reasons to go. The main reason to actually go to Gamescom actually has almost nothing to do with the game announcements that are coming. No, that's from a good point. That's a really good point, actually. That's very astute. Yeah. It's like it's like Evo. Like I went to Evo four or five years, um, not because I just wanted to watch everything, but because I, I wanted to hang out with people. I wanted to have like live matches. I wanted to like be up late having dollar matches of uh, Bushido Blade on an emulator. Sure. Like yeah. until like until all hours of the day. It was all the things around the tournaments and actually playing in the turns themselves that was actually the point of Evo. It was um, the experience of going exactly. There. I mean, that's exactly. We are entering right now, not just in games, but in every industry, we are entering an experience economy. We have a topic a little later after this that we're going to touch on that a little bit more. But you're right; you can even see it with Gamescom. Yeah, and Gamescom itself um, is weird because there was, say, maybe about, especially compared to this current 2019 E3. Games. This Gamescom had about I may maybe say sixty to seventy percent of the level of announcements. Yep. That this last E three had. Yeah. Maybe a little but, less actually. Yeah, but but still significantly more than you would have thought. Than usual. Yeah, absolutely. Significantly more than you would have thought. And this year's E three had significantly less things than we normally expect from it. Yeah. So they're starting to kind of they're starting, they're starting to kind to... of meet in the middle a little bit, aren't they? Correct. And what the thing is, E3, um, so far, at least the, the last couple of years we've seen, has become the time to do something, if not exactly the place to do something. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of like, it's like, even if you hate Christmas or don't, you know people are in a better mood to spend money and buy gifts around Christmas. So you have sales, you have promotions, you have other stuff like that to get get people to buy or whatever and stuff like that. but and e3 even if you're not going like you're like a 2k or like this last year sony or uh, microsoft or ea you're like okay but people are in the mood and ready to eat up gaming news and gaming content so let's provide it but we don't necessarily have to be at e3 Whereas yeah, i think another thing that helps e3 is that it games. happens when kids are off school yeah yeah. And Gamescom happens either right when kids have gone back to school or mm -hmm. they're about to. And yeah. it happens during the week. I mean, think about it. Right now it's Saturday. Gamescom's mm -hmm. over. There is yeah. no weekend time for Gamescom. We're making well, with, we're making with, time same, for Gamescom during the weekend. Same with E3. Same with E3. It starts late Sunday night, then the main events are Monday and Tuesday. But again, it's in the summer. So like so either I have to take off work or pretend I'm working uh, to follow all those press to follow all those press conferences during the week. No, you're absolutely like, right. But there, is, look, there is stuff on the weekend for E3. Yeah. Like EA does its thing, and there there's usually yeah. at least two press events during the the weekend before E3. Yeah. So yep. there's there is stuff going on that kind of mm -hmm. it alerts you to the fact that oh, when you have free time, it alerts you to the fact that E3 is happening this week. 
You yeah, don't get yeah. that with Gamescom. There's no kind of build up on the weekend before, and then it doesn't continue into the weekend. So Correct. the timing of it when it happens, I think, makes it tough. It, it, it's an uphill battle for it to fight, but I have a feeling yeah. that just with brute force, it, it has a, an ability to overtake E3 ultimately. I think it very much does. It like the the biggest the biggest uh, key in that will be, at least in my opinion, will be when people start getting hyped for Gamescom. Right. Like right. people who aren't going, they're like, "Ooh, I wonder what is going to come out either around or because of Gamescom." Because well, for right us, now, here's a good example of that actually. Like, so like, we created you, our sifted countdown that you did the voiceover yeah. for. We yes. put it up on our site, it ran for a few days, and then we put it up on YouTube. We ended up mm -hmm. publishing it the day before Gamescom kicked off. And I did like a okay. quick search on YouTube. There was like no pre-Gamescom content. Yep. There was Correct. none. We yep. were the only countdown for anticipated games for Gamescom. And I don't know if you noticed, mm -hmm. consequently, yep. it got picked up and it ended up in the YouTube algorithm and it ended up doing like nice. 15,000 views or something, which is a lot nice. for us. I know that's a nice. joke to most YouTube channels, no, but to no, us, but that's, that's a big deal. Us. And it shows yeah. that it got picked up and kind of sifted through their algorithm. So yep. you're right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's no pre-hype for Gamescom whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, like in a way, I know it's super silly or whatever, but if the Easy Allies don't do a weird betting special themed around your event, people don't have hype. Yeah. Well, I mean, they like, they only do that when they know there's hype for a show. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, but I, I thought there were a lot of cool things that happened this Gamescom, but, and they were more surprising than much of the stuff that happened to E3 because I wasn't expecting these things. Like, like I, to be honest, I thought Jeff did a very, uh, for what it was, I thought he did a very good job. I think he did a better job of this opening night live than the first Game Awards. Oh, really? Well, because uh, like the maybe maybe it was the the second Game Awards, but there was a couple of Game Awards where it was really weird because well, I guess this happened too. Like awards were given off camera, and then like you had to read them in the lower the lower marquee. It's like and the award for this. I'm like, wait, wait, I was looking for that award. I wanted to see that one. Well, I'm, I'm like, sure ah. you noticed at this show that they did like they'd have some yeah. girl come on stage and just read off a list yeah. of awards. Yeah. I thought that was a yeah. little odd. I thought the, giving the awards in general was a little odd. Yeah, but again, I mean, he's again, trying to shoehorn his brand into the show so that people remember, oh, right, he's the guy who does the he's awards. The award guy. Yeah. He's the award guy. Yeah, and it's smart. I mean, you want to do that. If they're both your properties, you want to cross market one with the Correct. other to get people to tune into the other one. I understand it. Because if you're, if you're outside of the gaming industry, the only thing you would know Jeff Keighley is from is the guy who runs the game awards because yeah. other than that you're like what is he is he a developer no does he make games no no does he review he a journalist and play no. no he's really not does he break news no like the, what does he do well well, well he gets hype he makes what money that that's he's what he does he's a marketer <laughs> jeff, jeff is a marketer he's a yep. very 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 charismatic good marketer yeah but that's all he is yeah so. And that's so, yeah. good enough, in all honesty. I mean, he's mm -hmm. he's doing great. I'm really proud of what he's done, like kind of post-Spike yeah. and post-GT. He's uh, yeah. he's really hit it on the head. He filled the void, doing something mm -hmm. that he was already doing before for Spike. Yep. And uh, he found the right investors who were willing to believe in his dream, and he made it happen. So congratulations mm -hmm. to him. 
Yep. And uh, like I and so like I wasn't hyped myself for Gamescom just because I did enough land parties and other stuff like that in the past that I know, oh, Gamescom is the gigantic land. Like yeah. like and so if you are going to it, it is one of the most hyped things in the world. But like I like I never went to Evo to get news about um the next Blaze Blue game and I never went to Gamescom or uh, Gen Con because I wanted to see what uh, next cards Magic the Gathering was going to reveal. I went to play games. I went to be with people and stuff like that. And that's what Gamescom mostly is. But it's starting to tweak a little bit in the other direction that even the developers and stuff themselves are like, okay, there's something worth pursuing here from like a marketing standpoint to the rest of the world who is watching at home. And that is kind of, uh, you could see that in just the fact that Jeff Keighley himself the inventor of the Game Awards, <laughs> decided to do a two-hour presentation for this show. Well, I think most of that has to do with the fact that Gamescom was willing to give him a big pile of cash to do it. Yeah, Believe I, me, I, I know I, Jeff I, very well. There's okay. no way he's going to travel all the way to Germany to do a huge production okay. like that unless there was a lot of money involved. Gotcha. Okay, so they, they would have requested him to come do something okay well yeah i mean they I, they met with him i think it was he said it was at e3 this last year okay. and they said to him hey we want you to do something for gamescom like you're doing for these other shows and he was like okay, okay and show me the money and i'll do it and they did and he did nice because because like it's a little weird in the gaming games industry because i don't know all the time who's paying who because like yeah. normally, <laughs> it's not just like the normally, games industry. <laughs> but no, no, but but what I mean is like ESPN will pay the NFL to run one of their games, right. whereas Riot pays ESPN to, to run its stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so, that's so all I'm, money too, though. That's ratings. Like if you correct. if look if you're broadcasting something that brings in enough ratings that you can sell yeah. the ads at a decent rate. Yeah. You're golden. If you're if you're trying to run something on television that no one's going to watch and the network is going to lose out on ad revenue, then you have to pay them for that. That's how it works. Yeah. But listen, a, a great call again. Thank you thank so much for calling in. Thanks for doing a great job on our VO for all our stuff. You demand have yourself a great weekend. You too. Have a good night. Later. All right. We'll take, and it's weird, people say, and have a good night, because it's like the middle of the afternoon here, but, uh, <laughs> okay, we'll take one more call on Gamescom if we've got one, and we do. We got more than one, actually. Which one's going to get in? Welcome to today's high score. Who do we have? You got Burkoff. Is, Bur is it Burkoff? Yeah, it is. I've been calling you Burko <laughs> all this time. Pactor calls you Burko. I know he does, yeah. yeah does it drive you crazy? <laughs> No, because everybody does it. <laughs> I miss you, Burko. We just had lunch together not that long ago. You were in L.A. We had yeah. a great lunch, had a couple beers. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. How was so, the rest uh, of your trip and your drive back to Las Vegas? It wasn't too bad. Uh, the 15 was super slowed down when we were coming back. I told you. It almost you. stopped. Um, <laughs> it's so terrible. That's yeah. why I just fly. I don't drive to Vegas anymore. It's not worth it. It's too much hassle. Yeah, so we left at like 10 in the morning, and I got home at like 5. It was crazy. Oh, I've had way worse. I'll say that much. I've had way <laughs> worse driving. To I told you the story when we were hanging out about what happened to us the one time. Yeah, yeah. So count your blessings. Uh, What's your take on Gamescom, Burkoff? <laughs> I'm so used to <laughs> saying Burko. I can't even say Burkoff. You can say Burko if you want. That's All right, fine. fair enough. Um, 
So my take on Gamescom is basically um, there's a lot of shit that we're seeing in Gamescom that we I feel like we should have seen in E3. Okay. Like? Right. So like uh, Dragon Quest Eleven gameplay. Interesting. Well, I mean, you know that Switch. game's out. Oh, you mean for Switch. Okay. Right. Exactly. Like that should have been something that they showed at E3, but they saved it for Gamescom. Which is weird um, because it's Square Enix, who usually – Generally has like no presence at Gamescom whatsoever, unless it has Western games to promote, like Just Cause Four or something like that. Usually, it has a very low profile at, at the show. Right. Um, the Outer Worlds. We're seeing more gameplay for that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Although they did uh, show gameplay at E3 of that. They did, but not like they have at Gamescom. Oh, no, you're like, right. Been, I mean, there's like three extended. hours of it at Gamescom. I mean, right. one thing it, you do have to, one thing you should consider before we kind of continue down this path. Is okay. that Gamescom is later, and it's not that much later than E3, but it is a few months. So that does give developers time to kind of improve things or finish producing things that they want to show and stuff like that. I, I feel that, but I, I I also feel like some of this shit they could have shown at E3, but they're choosing to show it at Gamescom. No, that's true. You know, um, I mean, Mitch brought up a good one, Gears. Yeah, Gears Five, like that's. They showed way more of Gears than they did at E3. Way more. Right, and like Microsoft didn't have that stuff prepared for E3. Come on, that's that seems oh, ridiculous that, to that, me. That first of all, Microsoft doesn't have to prepare anything. There's companies that they they're paying to create that stuff, and uh, that stuff was done a long time ago. So all this media that we're seeing that was at E3, that was at Gamescom, all those trailers were approved and ready to go months ago. That's not like they have like a trailer house, like using fiber to send them the trailer as they land in Germany. Like all that stuff is done way beforehand. Like they knew what was going to be in these trailers and when they were going to roll them out, probably like a year or a year and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. So th that was kind of my point was just like, I feel like the publishers know that, um, this is sort of the time that you show this stuff for the world audience. Um, E3 to me feels more like it's relegated to the U S these days. So you're and saying Gamescom, Gamescom feels more international, whereas E3 feels like just a U.S. thing. Yeah, exactly. Like it, th this seems like it, this is the next big like international show that people are going to start doing. Yeah. And, um, I can I can kind of agree with what you know Mikey was saying about like it's it's about the experience when you show up. I I don't think that publishers really care. They're going to latch onto it and use it to promote their stuff, regardless of you know what what the people that are showing up to the show are are going to expect. Do you think we'll ever get to a place where Gamescom is the thing when people talk about gaming and they're like, what's the biggest game event? The first thing that comes to their mind is Gamescom instead of E3. Like, do you think that think, will ever happen? I think that it's very possible. I think that uh, the ESA has a lot of work ahead of them in order yeah. to bring E3 back. And if they don't put in that work, if they don't um, get the publishers and the platform holders together with them, that they're just going to abandon E3 altogether. They're going to go to Gamescom. They're going to go to PAX. They're going to set up their own events. They're going to engage their own uh, influencers on YouTube. They're, you know, yeah. they're going to find other outlets to to get this media out there, and it's not going to really matter that E3 is happening. This stuff is still going to come out, and they're going to make sure that 
we've got all this stuff ready and it's it's going to hit the the right time and the right place on the internet for everybody. Yep, the times are definitely a changing. Um I mean, you could even make the argument that do you even need to go to any events anymore with the internet and with influencers and every publisher now has this network of people who are probably almost as good at getting the word out as working with major publications. So Well, I think I think you know that's what uh is that what Matt Kyle was saying on Game Face like 10 weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, I guess he was. Yeah. You know, I I think when that we were that, talking that's... about Sony not being at E3. Yeah, I think that that's where we're headed. I think that it is about the fact that everybody's connected and everybody's online and you don't need to have a physical presence anymore and I think that Gamescom is, is showing that, you know. Are we headed towards a world where no one ever goes out and everyone just sits at home and lets the world come to them? I mean, it feels like in a lot of ways we're kind of already there. I, I could disagree with that. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that um, we, we, as gamers we still enjoy, you know, going out and meeting each other and, you know, having events. But whether or not it's relevant in terms of the press cycles and the – uh, promotion, maybe not. Um, you know, maybe PAX was a, sort of ahead of the curve. Maybe they oh, caught. Oh, it definitely the, was. That's why it's so successful. Yeah, I mean, maybe they caught some of the press cycle stuff, but it's PAX at least has the ability to continue as a consumer show because everybody just wants to show up to hang out with each other. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for the call, Burko, Burkoff, Burko, <laughs> whatever you want me to call you. I'm going to probably end up calling you both until the end of time, but have yourself no a great Saturday and a great weekend. I appreciate it. All right. Peace. Take care, brother. All right. That's it for Gamescom. That's a wrap. I'm surprised none of you guys called in to just, okay, we'll take one more. We'll take one more at Gamescom. This is a big topic. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have on the line? Uh, Daniel. Daniel, what's up, man? Uh, yeah, good, man. I just um, wanted to call in about this topic, uh, okay. mainly because obviously you haven't had a European point of view. That's true. Which is, and it's uh, your uh, show, so the, we need so you. I thought I'd, yeah. So um, I think the one reason why it gets such a, a big crowd is it's so cheap. How cheap is it? So it's seven, 16 euros for a day ticket. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh and if you want to get, my gosh! And if you, if you, I mean, it's thirty-seven. Uh, if you want to go in at nine a.m. on the Wednesday and Thursday all day. Wow. Um, the other thing I was going to say is it is on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Europe. Oh, so the public so days the, are the Saturday. public days go. Yeah, so the public days are Friday, Saturday, and also Wednesday, Thursday are public as well. Tuesday is only for press. Okay. So that's just um, – so, yeah, how cheap it is is one of the big reasons, I think, is why uh, it gets such a big crowd to go. Also, they also do an evening ticket from 4 till 8 for 7 euros. Wow. So going 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. and oh, just for 7 my euros gosh. play the games. So that's why I would say – I would just worked it out and say 400,000 people, they would have made about seven, uh, 6 mil, depending what people pay for price. So they've made six million on the coming through the gate by getting that many people through. So that's then actually not charge. that much. That's not that much, but uh, but you could charge. But if they've already got the expedition center, I think because it's a German base. I don't really know who runs it, but I know it's very ger German based. 
and Cologne is a like an expo engineering town. So they've got big exhibition centers. So oh yeah, they're gigantic. And house these house this thing. So that's I always think that's quite interesting because compared to E3, what's E3? Oh, uh, it's outrageous. Know. It's like hundreds of dollars for yeah. like a two or three day pass. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really pissed me off about the ESA leak, and I think I mentioned this on some show already, was that they let 60,000 people into that show, and only 2,000 of them are journalists. I mean, (laughs) think about that. And you know why they do it that way? It's because they want you to pay. They want you to pay to get in. So if you're not a gigantic outlet, it's really hard to get more than one person in free. I mean, yeah. that's all they'll give us, and there, there's not, it's not negotiable. There's no discussing it with them. You can talk to them in the blue in the face about how, hey, you can't really do coverage with one person. You need another person there to at least run your camera, and they're like, we don't care. Do what you can with what you got. So, and uh, I'd, I'd booked to go this year, actually. To and E3? Then, uh, no, to uh, Gamescom. Oh, okay. okay. I was going to do some. I was going to do some filming for you, etc. I kind of planned it all out, and I was going to email you. And then we had uh, my fiance's mother got very ill, oh. so we had to. Ca- we cancelled our because we were going to go to Cologne, oh. and I was going to do. I was going to do I'm two or three that. evenings. I was going to do two or three evenings just to check it out. Get How some far of a trip is that for you? Um, it's about a two and a half hour plane. Okay, you're going to fly. Yeah, we're going to fly, yeah. Most people I talk to in Europe, they take trains everywhere. So I just assume everyone's going to take a train. No, we're going to fly. We've got a flight for about 35 quid. So that's pretty cheap. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Then you definitely take the flight. (laughs) Yeah, and then the Airbnb we had was about 100 or maybe about 80 quid a night. We were staying stay for three nights. We're going to do a bit of the culture there, and then I was going to go to the... Uh, games come in the evenings, but in the end, it didn't work out. So sadly, so but I probably will go next year because um, I think, as you're right, I think it's on the up, and I think next year, if PlayStation Five is there, and oh, the it will be. You know, it there, will be definitely worth hanging out and going there. And I'm just shocked how much bigger this Gamescom has been to previous years because previously it's just been like any other games kind of expo in Europe, but obviously the big one. But like you get similar games, whereas this, it seems like they brought all the big boys. All the first parties, and new stuff, stuff for the big there. boys. And, most importantly, and, and I mean, it stuff, wasn't one of those yeah. years where, hey, here's the same trailer we showed at E3 for this game. Take it and like it. Yeah, yeah, because that's previously has been the case. That's yeah. awesome news. The I would say how it upstages E3 is if all three. I know Nintendo, Sony, and Xbox do a conference-like thing like they do at E3. Until that happens, I don't think E3 will ever be outmatched because. It's not you get the eyes on, but as you guys were saying, there was no coverage for like most anticipated games or anything like that because they don't have those conferences to kind of uh, drive the bring hype. the eyes, yep. bring the eyes, bring the hype. So until that actually happens, I do think that Jeff's uh, uh, was a bit of a waste of time personally. I just thought he was. I just don't know what Gamescom were trying to achieve there. There I were a few we, times where I thought he was saying to himself, "This is a waste." Like I know Jeff really well, and so. When I see certain facial expressions from him, like I know what he's thinking because I've seen him have those facial expressions and then come to me and tell me what he was thinking. And so I can see him on stage and kind of read into where he is. And I could see at one part where he had introduced like eight indie game trailers in a row and they had come back to him to do the toss to the next one. And he almost like laughed because I think he realized how absurd it was starting to get at that point where they're just like, here's a trailer, come back. 
well, this game was made by these guys, and here's another trailer. And, like, after he did that for, like, 45 minutes straight, I think he started to realize, wait a minute, like, we should have rehearsed this before we did it. But he still did a great job, though. I mean, for a first attempt, it was great. I think what would have been better is, you know, like, the E3 Live thing he does at E3? I think that would have been better. It would have been. On the Tuesday, on the Tuesday, the first day of the show for press only, like it wouldn't have done as well with in. audience, though. It, the the reveals are what bring people in, and so yeah. I get why he did that instead. But I think as yeah. far as quality of content is concerned, you're absolutely right. It would be better to do something like his E3 Live thing he does with YouTube. Yeah, that would um, – but, yeah. But, no, I'm really excited for the future for Gamescom. I think it's only going to get better. And it just keeps getting be- better every year without fail. And obviously a year away from all the big consoles. Oh, yeah. uh, it's it's going to be a good year to go next year. So hopefully uh, I will be able to rebook my trip to Cologne. Maybe we'll go next start. year too and we'll meet you there. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Germany's I'm due for awesome a trip place. to Europe. I haven't been there since like 2012 yeah. at this point. So well, I'm due. Ge- yeah, Germany is an awesome, awesome place. I've heard so, many, many times. So yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll do our first ever sifted meetup in Cologne. How about that? That would be, that'd be awesome. Especially, <laughs> well, who knows? They might up the ticket prices, but they seem to be selling out. So who yeah. knows? Uh, but um, actually, the evening ones actually weren't sold out about a month ago. Because uh-huh. I looked then to lot, and you could get the evening tickets uh, for seven euros even a month ago. So yeah, for somebody like me, you plan that months in advance. Like you I know, just don't yeah, you on do. a whim hop on a flight to Germany with no hotel or any of that. So yeah, so I booked my booked this about a month and a half ago, and then it all kind of unraveled. So I got okay. some money back. So I didn't lose too much, which was good, but uh, good. it was just a bit of a shame. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for your call. Have a great weekend. Right. Yeah, you too. Cheers. All right. Take Bye. care. All right. That's it. I'm calling Gamescom. No more calls for Gamescom. <laughs> Great discussion, as always. The show is amazing. You guys are just awesome. Uh, But it's time to move on. So we have about 30 or 40 minutes left. And I have, as always, way more topics than we're going to get to. So I'm going to run through the topics left. And folks in chat, let me know which one you want us to discuss. Uh, I have the PlayStation 5 and the dev kit image that leaked, if you want to talk about that. Um, Sony buying Insomniac, if you guys want to talk about that, I'm uh, locked and loaded to handle that. And then lastly, the Game Informer GameStop layoffs. If you want to talk about GameStop and how it's been working with Game Informer and all the other stuff that GameStop is doing, I'm willing to discuss that as well. So in chat, let me know which one you guys would like to discuss. Uh, let's see. We got Game Informer layoffs. Ian McGar being his usual jerky self. <laughs> uh, we have Patrick Perez calling in. Hi, welcome to today's high score. Who do we have? Hello? Looks like we lost him. Maybe they'll call back in when we start the topic. Um, it looks like every... Well, it's split between the layoffs and Sony buying Insomniac. Hello, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have? Hey, this is Akeem Dragoon. What's going on, man? I'm in. A whole lot. Thanks for calling in. Your audio is kind of going from mono to stereo. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I got these crazy AirPods on, so. You sound okay now, I think. Okay. 
Okay, no, you're going it. There's something going on. It goes like ah. really low into mono and then it comes up the stereo and it just keeps doing it over and over again. Weird. Okay. Yeah. How about. Yeah. Okay. And I just talked about how much I love my AirPods, too. <laughs> Dude. Oh, well. Right. Yeah, maybe I'll try to get it sorted again. and call back. Okay. Okay. All right. Later, man. Okay, so looking at the chat, layoffs. You guys want to talk about layoffs. It's almost split between that and Sony buying Insomniac, but it looks like the Game Informer GameStop layoffs are what you guys have settled on. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about GameStop. And I'm actually glad that you guys chose this topic because on the rundown, it's the one I have the most data and research for. So we're going to have some hard numbers to discuss this. So give me just one second to kind of intro the topic, and then I'll give you guys a cue to actually call in about it. So first of all, let's just talk about the way GameStop is handling all these layoffs. So Game Informer was just one part of the layoffs. They actually laid off like 100 plus people. Uh, it appears that around seven or eight of those people were from Game Informer. So technically they were a small, a small part of the layoffs, but I think it's probably the most impactful for us. Um, most of the layoffs were middle management. So they laid off a ton of district managers and now I guess they're just going to empower the store managers to handle stuff, which ultimately might be better for GameStop. Um, Game Informer, shifting gears a second, has, by latest, the latest report, has 3.5 million subscribers. And that's down a lot from the heyday. I think they had at one point like eight or nine million subscribers. And what a lot of people say about Game Informer is, well, yeah, they cheat because if you are a part of, what's their, the Power Rewards program, they have some special program. Oh, the Power Up membership. If you're a member of that at GameStop, you get Game Informer for free. Um, and GameStop is constantly pushing people to get Game Informer subscriptions. P some people, people who used to be in Dead Tree Media who were working on other magazines would come and talk to me and just cry the blues about all this. You know, it's not fair. Our magazine is better than theirs, but because GameStop is giving it away or they're pushing it really hard when people buy games, we don't have a chance because it's all about how many subscribers you have. You can essentially give a magazine away as long as you have a big subscriber base because you don't make most of your money at the newsstand and people buying it or people subscribing. You make all your money from advertisements. And ad rates, and this isn't just true of Dead Tree Media, this is also true of television and the internet to a lesser extent, it's all based on viewership. The internet, not as much because viewership matters uh, quantitatively. But when you talk about Dead Tree Media or you talk about broadcasts, it's about that appointment viewing or that appointment reading. And so the ad rates scale based upon the number. Um, online, like if you're going to, let's say you started a company and you want to put an ad up on YouTube for YouTube to run. 
it doesn't fluctuate based upon who you're advertising with. You just pay X amount of dollars and then they disseminate it out across their network. You pay a lot more money to advertise on television for broadcasts that have a lot of people because it's a moment in time where if people aren't there to see it, it's gone. So the Super Bowl, ad rates are insane. Um, if you're just watching that same network on a Tuesday evening, those ad rates are a lot cheaper because there's a lot less people watching at that moment. In nonlinear pl uh, platforms like the internet, it doesn't really matter because people are consuming it at all different times from all different places. It's not this linear thing in this one moment in time. So three and a half million subscribers for Game Informer is great. Even though it's dropped a lot from where it was when it was in its prime, it's still amazing because they can sell their advertising to publishers saying 3.5 million people are guaranteed to read this and probably a lot more because you get pin action from magazines because they lay on coffee tables and end tables and they're at businesses, at doctor's offices and things like that. And believe me, they actually do use that metric to get more money for their ad rates. So Game Informer isn't hurt that much. Um... If people don't read the magazine, they have the the installed base, essentially, if you want to translate that phrase over from consoles to magazines. They have a huge installed base. So my guess is that GameStop looked at their business and said, you know, it's not really the quality of your magazine that's driving these subscriptions, which drives the ad rates. It's the fact that we're giving the magazine away. And this is no slight to Game Informer. Game Informer is a great magazine. Andy Mack and team are amazing. They're making a great mag, but it is irrelevant because they're giving the subscription away. So from GameStop's perspective, they're like, the quality of the magazine doesn't matter that much as long as it's okay. So if we cut half the staff, that's probably still enough to make the magazine. It's probably not going to be as good as it was, but that's kind of irrelevant because people are getting it for free and they're going to accept it no matter what. No one's going to say, I don't want a free subscription to Game Informer magazine because it's terrible. They're just not going to. They're going to be like, oh, really? Free? Oh, sure. I mean, everybody is that way. Few people turn down free stuff, I'm myself included. Very rarely do I turn down free stuff. So Game Informer is in a good position financially, but when you start talking about, you know, can we keep this group together? Can we keep doing things the way that we have been doing them for a long time? I think GameStop looked at that and said, probably not, because GameStop is in bad shape. The problem is they're, they're, it is being really short-sighted because really... How much does it cost to keep those eight people employed for a year? Really? I mean, chances are most of them, they're living in Minneapolis, so cost of living's pretty low. Salaries there are pretty low. My guess is most of the junior staff there is probably making 50000 a year or something like that. I mean, you multiply that by eight people, that's like $200,000. That's like nothing. So... I think GameStop was looking for a little bit of a scapegoat. It doesn't want to fully admit that its operations are poor, and that's why it's having problems. And so GameStop or Game Informer became a scapegoat and an outlet for them to say, well, we're pinching on all parts of our business. And that's pretty typical from corporations. It's very rare that you see a corporation go through a round of layoffs and just go after one department. Usually it's 
a, a certain percentage from every department. So my guess is that GameStop probably is like, okay, we're going to take, I mean, honestly, I guess they took about 50% of Game Informer. They definitely didn't fire 50% of their district managers. So my guess is in conjunction with what I just discussed, with the fact that there just aren't that many magazines out there anymore, that maybe Game Informer was like, you know, maybe it's time to stop investing as much money in that. Now, Everything I've said right now, you may be sitting there saying, oh, what about the people? You're absolutely right. Um, don't think that I'm forgetting about the people whose lives are changed. I've went through layoffs before. My wife went through a really long layoff um, when she left her prior job before she got her new one, like six months. And I could see the toll that it was taking on her every day because she was dedicated. She was up at the crack of dawn every day, applying for jobs all day. And she's amazing. And she ultimately got a job that says she's amazing. She's really good at what she does. But that doesn't matter. Finding jobs in 2019 in America, 95% of the time is who do you know? And is that person willing to offer you a job or to vouch for you with someone they know who has a job opening? Cold calling, just sending your resume in, you're probably not going to get a job. It's almost impossible. So I feel for these guys. They have a tough road to try to find another job because there just aren't any. And I think that's kind of the reality of what's happening with game journalism right now is it's just going away. I'm honestly surprised that the staffers from Game Informer haven't already launched a Patreon. It's a no-brainer. Um, I'm sure right now they're like, no, we can probably get jobs somewhere else, and they're holding out hope that they can do that. But if they're smart, they'll start a Patreon with a, a new publication under Patreon right away because there's nothing, nothing that gets people more willing to part with their money on Patreon than feeling sorry for someone or something. It, it's just, it's just the way it is. It worked for Easy Allies. It worked for Kind of Funny. If you have a sad story to tell when you go on there, you're probably going to be successful, at least at first. You're going to have that initial group of people who want to support you because you got screwed. And I totally understand that. And then it's up to you and your content to keep people there and keep growing the total. So my advice to them would be don't waste your time calling around to IGN and all these other outlets because they're probably not going to hire you. One, they're not hiring. And two, if you don't have a gigantic social media following, they're probably not even going to interview you. So my advice is strike while the iron's hot and go and start your own thing. You can do it for like nothing now. I mean, it's so easy. You just go to Patreon in an hour. It's up. You send out some tweets and off you go. That would be my advice to them if they ask for it, which they haven't. But let's talk about GameStop. Why, why does GameStop sell products for an industry that is growing ex exponentially and, in all honesty, are making billions and billions of dollars a year and they can't stay relevant and they can't stay in business? Why is that? What is it about GameStop's business model that... They can't stay in business. I think we all know what it is. It's that everybody is moving to digital, but I don't think that's the whole story. What say you? Why do you think GameStop is in dire straits? If you want to talk about Game Informer and what you think they should do or why you think GameStop kind of took 
the full brunt of this layoff instead of other parts of the company, let us know. Let's see who we got. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have? Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, you're back. Welcome back, man. And look, you yeah. sound better now. <laughs> you got rid of That's the AirPods. <laughs> nope, I had to lose them. That's good. So what's going on? What's your take on this GameStop Game Informer stuff? I mean, to be honest with you, because I've been a member of GameStop for like eight years or so. So you're um, a part of that power-up rewards group. Yeah, exactly. So um, I've just, uh, you know, that magazine actually is what incentivized me to actually get the membership, too. Um, so Game I Informer really convinced you to get the power-up membership? Yeah. Because yeah, you knew you were going to get it free if you got it, it right? You know, I was I love reading the magazines. So, but do you still? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, when uh, I look at the covers more than I look at the the actual magazine, to be honest. Wait, you just look at the cover, but you don't read the magazine? (laughs) I'll read it sometimes, but yeah, a lot of times if it's a cool cover, I'll just keep it because the cover's cool. They do a good job with their cover art at Game Informer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Absolutely. another magazine that was really good at that was Next Generation Magazine. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember that one. That was a great mag. Like, the the way that they printed it, the, the paper stock that they used, the images mm-hmm. were glossy instead of matte. And it made mm-hmm. – I mean, it was just a really classy magazine. So, yeah, but that one's gone too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean Game there's Informer's not a lot like of the them last out man there. I think there was Edge, but Edge yeah. and PC Gamer, and I believe that's about it. Yeah, so, there's yeah, not many I left. Mean, What do you think has caused GameStop's downfall? Other than the obvious, which is more people are buying digital. But mm-hmm. don't you think that, that that instead of Sony buying Gaikai and on live, shouldn't it have been GameStop that bought those guys? I mean, it would have helped. I mean, I know that GameStop actually had some type of uh, gaming store, actually. Um, I remember I actually bought, um, it was this uh, game. I can't remember what it was called, but... It was by the same guys who made Transistor. It was the game before that. Super and Giant. I bought it. Or Super Massive. Yeah. Greg Kasavin's studio. The guy who used to, I yeah. used to work with at Game at GameSpot and not GameStop. <laughs> right, right. Correct. But so I bought it off of the GameStop store and I was able to play it in their, I guess, I don't know. It's kind of like the Twitch way, like how you'll um, play the game through the app or whatever. Uh-huh. So I was playing it through the app. So I think they've been trying. But the main thing is that they just have bad retail practices. Um, you know, they're selling pre-owned games for a large amount of money, and it's pre-owned. And then when people trade in their games, they're not getting a lot of money for it, you know, to put towards other games. And I think that it's just bad re- retail practices that also sour people. Like, I, I go to my local GameStop um, up in uptown Minneapolis, and you know oh, you're near game all the time you actually live close to them yeah i do and so what when you go to the store what were you saying happens yeah i mean i'll see new faces all the time and then i'll look at the store manager and i'll, and I'll talk to him like hey man how's business he's like it's great but i'm working like 70 hours a week welcome to the club and, is what i tell him <laughs> yeah i mean i'm working i think everybody hours. is Welcome yeah. to America in 2019. If you it's want to survive, you better bust that ass. That's yep. just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. But, so, I mean, you know, these people, they're pretty much still 
thinking like, oh, we'll just hire these teenagers to work these crazy hours. Don't pay them anything. And then, like, honestly, when I go in there, sometimes I don't even want to go there because they feel defeated. You know, the store just feels defeated, even though theoretically that store makes the most money in Minneapolis. You mean as far as GameStops are concerned, it makes the most? Yes. Yes, it's the most. It's not good enough, though. No. To the managers. Yeah. I've heard that from so many people who work there that no matter how well you do, it's not good enough. No. And I mean, that's kind of retail in general. It is. I mean, you could work hard, but you're not going to get that raise. Nope. They're just going to pay you all, you know, so much. That's That's why I recommend people who work in retail do the bare minimum to keep your job and <laughs> nothing more. Nothing. Exactly. There's mm-hmm. no reason to bust your ass at retail. No, not at all. So what do you think GameStop can do to make the in-store experience better? I have a few ideas because I, absolutely I agree with you 100%. This was actually the solution that I was going to present to you guys. And I I also targeted that as the main problem with GameStop, is that going there sucks. Nobody wants to go there, because you know when you go there, you're going to be inundated with people trying to sell add-ons. The atmosphere is going to be weird. There's probably going to be a long line. It's going to be awkward. When you get up there, you have to awkwardly tell them, no, I don't care about your plan. I don't care about this. I don't need insurance. No, I don't want a Funko Pop. It's like you can't just pay for something and walk out of there. They like harass you until you almost run out of the store. So what do you think they can do with their stores to make them more inviting? They need to make it more like a community. Um, Agreed. Pretty much like you know, do some type of uh, events, like maybe like a fighting game tournament. And then there's like a, you get a free GameStop card, like 40 bucks or whatever, you know, something like that. And I think also maybe pay those guys a little bit more, you know what I mean? So that way they're happy to go and work and build those stands. And, you know, I know that they are changing up the return policies. I think with days gone, if you bought it new, you could return it after 48 hours or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't buy it. But, I mean, it's stuff like that that might help just a little bit. My approach is tear all that crap out of those stores. Take all the (laughs) shelves loaded with Funko Pops and and even games, to be perfectly honest with you, and create a hangout. Create a lounge Mm -hmm. with some couches and some chairs and a big-ass TV and whatever the hottest game is at that moment, have it sitting there for people to play. And not mm-hmm. this weird kiosk thing that Nintendo sends you where you have to stand and the cord for the controller is so short that you're uncomfortable. Make it like a living room, a place where people want to hang out. And then maybe have mm-hmm. the, the shelves on the wall above the tv so while people are playing they can see hey these are the 20 hottest games right now these are the games that we're selling the most of this is the stuff that you should keep an eye on make it an experience because that is the way right now that every retail chain is surviving they are like best buy Mm -hmm. have you heard what best buy did oh yeah i mean they do like uh they do like VR game uh, demos sometimes. They do they, some they've made too. their store, they, they've splintered their stores into 
little mini stores. So mm. instead of just walking in and it's like this big, wide open, intimidating space that you can't really even comprehend, you come in and now it's all compartmentalized. And they're, they bring in the companies to run those things. So Samsung has a little mm. mini Samsung store inside Best Buy because Samsung knows best how to sell Samsung products. It knows the features that resonate with customers. It knows the environment it needs to present its products to people so that they're open to them and willing to buy them. Best Buy nailed it. Circuit City's gone. All these other big box electronics stores are gone because they didn't evolve. Best Buy mm -hmm. has evolved. And I think GameStop, all it has to do is make it a place you want to go to. I still... Remember the Funko Land on South Street in Philadelphia. Like, it wasn't the nicest gaming store in Philly. It wasn't even close. In fact, it was probably <laughs> the dumpiest game store in all of Philadelphia. But I went in there because you could hang. You could just go there and just chill and talk to the people there. The people who worked behind the counter would come out and be like, oh, this guy was here earlier and he showed me, like, this trick. And he'd show, like... It was fun to be there. And that is the only way brick and mortar stores are surviving in 2019. It's to make the experience something memorable, not the products, the experience of coming in there to experience the products. You have to make it something that people want to participate in. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Do you think that if like GameStop had like a chill out place where you could just sit and, and, relax and play games maybe eat that slice of pizza you just bought at the food court and sit there and talk games with other people who love games without being in this weird line and like people like do you think it would work i mean it could work but it depends on where they're gonna be at i mean where i'm going i'm not gonna lie to you it's kind of a high theft area so i doubt there's <laughs> anything out there yo you know yo, for people to every play every area in philadelphia is a high theft area every area oh, yeah. I'm from there's no South, place in that city that's safe from crime yeah yeah i'm from jersey Atlantic city. Oh, okay I mean, <laughs> you know then <laughs> yeah and i've been to philly for my family are from philly so i totally know how they get down but you know i mean it's something that they could definitely try but i mean after the fifth ps4 gets stolen i don't know what else to say <laughs> no i mean you'd have to secure that stuff like look you, yeah. you can't care if you lose a controller here and there. You have to get over that. But you can mm -hmm. easily lock up the console inside an entertainment center or something so people can't rip it off. You can even easily set up the controller so that they couldn't steal those as well. I honestly wouldn't be worried about that stuff. Um, that I mean, that is, to me, to that's the cost of doing business. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do it. I mean, if I, if I could do it, I'd love to have a birthday party right there where I can yeah. just play in games have a cake there, like, you know, maybe shut down the store for a couple of hours. I'd pay to do that. But, you know, there is no option. I mean, Funko Land was ahead of its time when you could do that in there. But I'm not sure why they went down. But, I mean, it would be nice to bring something like that back. I mean, I don't know if that's going to cure everything. I think the other thing is, is that they just need to look at their business practices. And, like, with the pre-owned game and stuff, like, I shouldn't trade in something that I bought for 60 bucks that's about two months old and get 20, 20 or $10 for it. You know, I should get a little bit of a bigger, uh, like, return on that. You know well, what I mean? Well, then you go back in there and you see your game 
being sold mm -hmm. for $5 less than brand new. That's what exactly. really pisses me off. Like, give me half for it. I'm not asking for the whole thing back. Yeah. You know? yeah if it's so like within a month of the game being released, you should at least get half. Exactly. If they so. aren't willing to support the products, like saying, okay, we sold you this game, you know, two weeks ago for 60 bucks. But now we only think it's worth five bucks. Then why are they selling the crap if it if, if its value deteriorates that quickly? Exactly, it, it just makes no sense to me. And the other thing too is that I know that they're developing games. Why don't they maybe give some of those games away or maybe do some type of uh, contest where you'll win a free code? I forgot that last game they put out, but I thought it was pretty good. It was like a Castlevania-like game, um, and a lot of people thought it was okay. I think you played it once. Yep. <laughs> I think I can't um, remember it, but I read a, th a thread on Reddit, and it was an angry GameStop workers thread. And who knows if all this is true or not? I'm just telling you right away where I got this information from. But they were saying that GameStop, you never, they can never tell you how much something is going to cost because the the prices fluctuate every hour. So what happens is if games suddenly start selling a lot, like used games, anywhere in the GameStop ecosystem, every store gets a ping. So they're like, hey, this game is selling. We don't know why. It doesn't matter why. All of a sudden, this game is selling for like tons. Jack up the price. And they just immediately jack up the price on that game. So the way that they're handling used games right now, I think it's probably worst case scenario. Yeah, but if it all goes down, I mean, they're going to have a whole bunch of used games they're not going to be able to sell because they're going to be gone. Well, they're so going to have to I dig think... a hole next to all those ET cartridges and pluck them <laughs> all in there. They'll have, they'll have some uh, friends in the video game graveyard to hang out with. But I don't know. To, to me, I, I think if you... Adding Funko Pops and that stuff and all these tchotchkes and swag, it, I think you can see the parallels between that and Loot Crate. <laughs> it's yeah. like, sure, you put that stuff in there for, at first, everybody who lives in your area who has never had access to video game swag or Funko Pops are going to go in there and they're going to buy their favorite character. Just done. Guaranteed going to happen. If you live in the middle of the sticks in nowhere, Pennsylvania or Indiana, and you finally have a store in your area that sells stuff like that, if your favorite character is Spider-Man or Kratos or whatever, when all that stuff comes in there, I guarantee those people go in and they buy a Spider-Man or a Kratos. The problem is they don't go back in to buy more. They got what they wanted. And that's what happens with Loot Crate. Like you get it for a couple months and you're like, wow, I have all this video game swag. And then three months later, you're like, oh my God, I have all this video game swag. What am I going to do with it? So there's a, a law of diminishing returns with that stuff. And GameStop, all it did was it saw right away. Oh my God, Funko Pops are flying off the shelves. Let's get more of them. I, the last time I went into a GameStop, I saw Funko Pops for, like, the Jolly Green Giant on the... I'm not kidding. The Jolly Green Giant, the, the, the mascot that sells green beans, was on a shelf 
at GameStop. That's when you know they've just gone way too far. Yeah, and that's the problem, though, because, for example, I buy a lot of the um, Amiibos. And so I was looking for all of the Amiibos, and guess what? They didn't have them. No, because they, they sell out of those and don't order Amiibos. more of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I just think that I'd rather have an Amiibo that I want versus a, a pop figure for, of the Grinch. I, I'm, yeah. I'm good that. <laughs> that's another one. You're right, but that's the type of characters that they put in there. Who goes to a video game store to buy a figurine of the Grinch? Like, what the hell are you thinking? It's crazy. I, I don't know what – I mean, I understand why – they could have been compelled to go all in on that stuff because they saw the early returns, but man, slow your roll a little bit. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I will say that, you know, just to kind of end my, my thoughts on it, I'm not sure if GameStop can really come back. I mean, if they do, they have to do everything like Funkoland did, but just better. Yeah. And hopefully they're able to do that. And I mean, I love going to GameStop. That's the only place I go to buy games other than Steam and other than the PlayStation Store. Are you but still 100% want... physical? Do you buy all physical stuff? Oh, no. I'm no? like 50-50 now. I mean, okay. I just started PC gaming now. Oh, so well, that, that's 100% of... digital. Yeah, so I'm doing that. But I still have a PlayStation, and I'm still buying physical releases of uh, Final Fantasy, actually. I'm a big fan of the 15. I know you're not, but no. Why? Um... I, no, look, I, I didn't <laughs> hate Final Fantasy 15. Matt hated Final Fantasy 15. I uh, I moderately enjoyed it. Matt hated it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't me. You got to make. You got the wires crossed on the two of us there, which is totally understandable. You I know, totally actually, you know what? You know what? Actually, I had a talk with. Uh, I think it was Evan. I'm not quite sure. I think he said he hated 15. Sorry. So. Oh. Sorry, wrong, well, Matt wrong definitely podcast, doesn't like show. it. So, but yeah, it wasn't me. Like, I didn't love it, but I actually enjoyed the time that I spent with it, which was a lot of time. I finished that game, and I think one thing I I would say is that it did kind of get better as it went on, but mm-hmm. still, to me, not not triple uh, <laughs> Listen, man, thanks for calling in, and uh, have yourself a great weekend. Okay. Hey, you too. Thank you for talking with me. Later, man. All right, anyone else got a take on GameStop? What can GameStop do to survive? It has a big pile of cash. Um, it, can, I mean, technically, it's kind of in the position that Nintendo's in, where even if it failed for a while, it has enough cash to stay in business. So it can do stuff. It can survive. Let's see what you guys say. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we got? Hey, Shane. You got Joe here. What's up, Joe? What do you think of GameStop? Well, you know, I, I wanted to talk about the uh, the suggestion that you had had earlier about, you know, getting rid of all the shelves and just making a hangout space. Yeah. And I think that, that there's room for that in certain circumstances. But the other thing that you have to remember is that those little toys and trinkets and things that they sell there, that's where they actually make some money. Uh, I was they don't saying make that. That's what I said. When off. they first started it, it sold really well. And but, e- but even because now, I just that. mean profit margin-wise. I just mean the profit margin-wise on those little toys is much greater because they only get something like three bucks a game when they sell it because or or or, or they make six more than that. Game. It's like eight dollars, I think. Pax told me. But yeah, still, maybe you're it's right. Eight, it's not much. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so that's that's the reason that they have to you know buy the used games for so cheap. And don't get me wrong, I definitely agree with uh, what the the other caller said. Was you know that's their biggest their their biggest problem is that the the retail, you know, the, the value that you get for what you trade in is garbage. I don't know if, I think I traded one game in my entire life into a GameStop 
because it was that bad and I didn't care about it. I would otherwise just, I'd rather keep it and let it sit in my library than turn it into GameStop for the value that I get off of them, honestly. Oh, it's a slap in the face. It's yeah. a slap in the face. Like, I'd, I've never even tried to to take something in and sell it to GameStop because I have witnessed people's <sighs> souls being broken in half at GameStop. They come in with their favorite game and they get offered like $2.50 and they're just like, the funny part is it's so bad that they're just like yeah. speechless. They don't even say anything. Their mouth just <laughs> falls open and they just kind of turn and just slowly walk out of the store. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's I think insane. you're right. I I think you're right. You know, the the thing that they actually do give an interestingly good value is on prior used consoles. I, I've traded in a console before to GameStop, and, you know, I traded my base PS4 in for the Pro when it was, uh, they were doing like 50 bucks off the Pro, and uh, I traded the PS4 in. So I got like $250 credit or $300 credit or something like that. That's not bad. Uh, you know, that's. Yeah, that's not so bad, but the the trading of the games it's it's crazy. But I really like the idea of the the hangout that you made. Um, I wanted to share a, a, a personal story with it. Is that when I was in college, which was, I don't know what, what a year are we in twenty nineteen. So I started in twenty eleven in college. Okay. I went to we I, I went to University of Central Florida, and we were the first like college campus to have a GameStop on campus proper. You didn't have to drive; like you just walked there. It was right on the campus. And I have so many memories of going to that GameStop. I went to that GameStop, I think, almost every single day just to stop in and say hi. And it would have been so much cooler if there was a little hangout area, if there was somewhere, you know, for the people. Because we would just stand around the store talking. And it'd, it'd be great to have had a couch and a TV or something to, to hang around on. Well, the B-roll that we're watching right now is a part of GameStop's new initiative, which is... Bringing in esports personalities or athletes, depending on what you want to call them, and having them help people become better at video games. And so I saw some viral video that showed like two esports guys walking into a GameStop and nobody recognized who they were. And they made like a huge scene and acted like a bunch of douchebags and walked out. So they don't want to do it obviously and i don't yeah. see how that helps gamestop in any way shape or form because by the way also if you go to gamestop's youtube channel that initiative has carried over to gamestop tv another part of gamestop that should probably be cut because gamestop tv is just this flim flam of marketing crap that they loop in yeah. the stores um, it's all paid for, and maybe that's why they won't stop doing it is because the publishers pay to get their games put in that stuff. But, like, yeah, now they're using GameStop TV to, like, talk to these esports athletes and give people, like, tips and tricks. Bro, you can get that anywhere. Anywhere. There's 8 yeah. billion of those. This guy right now teaching us how to be good at Overwatch. You can go on YouTube and find a billion videos of people yeah. telling you how to be good at Overwatch. Yeah. I think that the, the general idea of what they want to do with uh, bringing people into the stores and having you know a reason to come into a store, uh, which really there isn't much. Any, I, I'm a physical person. I'm still 90% physical. Me too. Uh, I, I buy Steam games on PC, but I maybe have five or six PSN games. I like this, the physical stuff. So for most people, though, there's not much of a reason to come into the store. And I just don't think that esports is the way to go about it. Because <laughs> Hell no. It's I don't insane. like esports. 
I, I don't care about esports at all. I have friends that love esports. You know, yeah. I go to BlizzCon. I've been to BlizzCon like five times. I have friends from Australia that literally fly over every year just because they love StarCraft. But those kinds of people are far and few between. They don't they don't exist that much. And you know, esports players are not going to drive people into stores. I, I wish I could think of something something that would, but it's just it's remarkable that that GameStop is banking on esports, which the companies that make the games and hold the tournaments have not found a way to successfully, you know, make a, a large profit off of it. They know, haven't found a way even. to even get close to making any profit. Not yeah. even <laughs> like they're in they're in the red by a significant amount. All exactly. Exactly. So I mean, you know, throwing throwing everything on this esports bandwagon, I guess it's a last ditch effort in some ways, but I think the GameStop will, will turn around for at least a, a small portion of time because the uh, the new consoles are coming out. People still need a place to buy consoles, you know. It's Amazon like I said, they have stuff. a mountain of cash still because yeah. during the boom years of gaming, they made a, t- a crap ton of money and never mm-hmm. invested in it. And what they should have done, because what's really hurting GameStop, honestly, a big part of it is that they are tied into so many terrible leases because when they acquired things like Funko Land and all these other smaller retailers, they had to take over their leases. And a lot of those smaller ones, they were in bad leases because they didn't have the volume to negotiate better ones. So they took over yeah. all those leases. What GameStop should have done when it had all that cash, when it was just rolling in it, is it should have bought property, bought strip, bought land, built strip malls, own the whole strip mall, run your GameStop in that strip mall, and then just collect rent from everybody else and yeah. profit. It was so simple. Like GameStop was just terribly managed. And that's the thing. A lot of companies, when they're doing really well, they rest on their laurels. That is the last time you want to rest on, the worst time to rest on your laurels. When you have money and you have cash that's when you reinvest it intelligently into your business that's how you grow your business um yeah and i mean these guys should know this crap i'm not even a business Uh, major like it's crazy a good example of that is the local GameStop where i used to live i moved a year ago but the store over there they were in one location for the whole time i lived there and then the year a couple months before i was getting ready to move uh, they moved, they closed at the store and they moved, uh, about, I don't know, a half a block and crossed the street away from where they were. <laughs> and like that, <laughs> why? why? Well, they why, got cheaper why? rent. That's my guess. I no, mean, that's kind of goes yeah, to what I was saying. Rent, but, but like why that, like, I just, I feel like they were, they mismanaged their properties. They mismanaged their retail, their retail establishments. They, they shrunk, they went to a smaller store. The one that they were in was much larger. So that was smart of them. I get it, but I think you're right. Re- retail uh, and real estate investment is uh, is key in in dealing with business. You know, owning the building you you live in, or owning a strip mall, or owning the property can save you in oh, yeah. a lot of circumstances. Because even look, even if your business is doing terrible, which GameStop is right now. So let's say all things stay the same, except GameStop own the property that its buildings are on. You're, so what? Your business is doing bad, so what? If it goes bankrupt, all those storefronts that have GameStop right now, you can just move another business in there and make profit. Like, it's yep. so simple. It's GameStop could have done this, it didn't do it, and now it's in the position that it's in. But look, yep. thank you for your call, another great call, um, and have yourself an awesome weekend. You too, Shane. Take care. Peace. All right.
Well, we have time for one more call. If one more person wants to get in on this GameStop discussion, what can GameStop do to survive? If you want to talk about Game Informer, what can a gaming magazine do to survive in 2019? We're willing to take that call as well. Uh, we're at Sifted Games on Skype. This has been a great episode, by the way, because I have not even had to ask you guys to call in. You guys are just doing it, which is amazing. Either that or you guys have a really boring Saturday today. All right, this is it, our last call. Hi, and welcome to today's high score. Who do we have on the phone? Hello? Are you there? Hello? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Who is it? That's Grant. Uh, it's Ian McGar. Ian McGar! Wow! You called in! Yeah, actually on the Xbox. <laughs> nice! But no video. Uh, no, because I don't have a connect set up. Cause, oh, know, okay. Because you're smart. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, they'll just watch me change. Because you weren't a sucker like me who bought it, the launch unit with Connect. <laughs> no, I didn't get an Xbox One until Tomb Raider. Oh, okay. Uh, That's the so only what's your take on all this stuff? Do you want to talk about Game Informer or GameStop? Uh, I want to talk about our GameStop in Ireland. Okay. And just the difference, because I hear like all the stories about American, it just sounds awful, although ours is awful <laughs> as well in a different way. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, most of the tat that uh, is sold in GameStop isn't actually GameStop. It's a company called ThinkGeek. ThinkGeek? Yeah, it's uh, that's where all the pops and all that stuff comes from. Yeah, GameStop actually GameStop merged with them. Yeah, they merged together. So yeah. every store now is half GameStop and half ThinkGeek. And that's why they have all that they can't just get rid of it well i thought that they they didn't they weren't together game i thought gamestop started putting that stuff in stores before they merged and then once they realized how well it sold at first that's when they decided to join together is that right uh, maybe that's how it worked in America, but I know over in Europe uh, they've actually merged because on our signs outside the shop it has like Tink Geek right beside the GameStop logo. And even on their bags and stuff, it's half and half. Yeah, I mean, I know they've merged now, but like I remember back when I bought, was it the, it was the SNES Classic. I got it from Think Geek here in the US. And at that point, they weren't associated with GameStop at all here. Like they were completely separate entities. No, they've been merged in Ireland for like, I'd say five, six years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not the case yeah. here. Absolutely not the case. Uh, I know they have it in Europe as well. Like, we've all the GameStops all over Europe. It's just not in uh, UK for some reason. Interesting. So let, don't... let's get back to the topic, though. What do you yeah. think can be done to save GameStop, whether in Europe or the US or whatever? And do you think that uh, there's a place for magazines in 2019? Uh, I know we had the Game Informer here, but I don't think it was physical. It hasn't been physical in about three years now. So our GameStop used to just give you an email and you'd open the email and it was a digital PDF. Gotcha. And no one really wanted it. And we can't, uh, I think in America you have to buy a sub or something. Is it a subscription? Yeah, you have to be a part of the Power Up Rewards program to get it free. Yeah, with us here, we have to uh, spend, I think it's a grand to just get to this level it's like for every what? euro every euro you spend you get a carrot and to get to level three i think it's a thousand carrots and that's with insane a thousand carrots, you get game informer and you get other perks you know you get like five quid off a pop or 
you know, money off a pre-owned game. Yeah, but it's like a grand. That's it nuts. <laughs> you have to spend a grand to get Game Informer I, for free. You have to spend a grand a year to get your thousand carats, and if you don't, you know, get your thousand carats, you get put back down to a different level with your card, and wow. it's level three to get Game Informer. Well, you don't have to do that here. That's for sure. Yeah, you just have to sign up for the it. Power Up Rewards Program. Yeah, I think you can buy uh, your level three card on it. Like you can automatically get those thousand cards for I think it's twenty quid. Oh, okay. Oh, but, gotcha, well, gotcha. It, oh, okay, yeah, I see. I see how it works. Yeah, it's the way you're robbing us, you know. So, what do you think that GameStop can do to stay alive beyond the next few years? Because the next few years are going to be fine. They have a lot of cash. The new consoles are coming out, but after the shine comes off the Xbox 2 and the PlayStation 5, then it's going to be in trouble. What do you think it can do to survive? Uh, the main problems with ours here is the staff and the prices. Okay. Uh, I could tell you a story about it earlier, but I, I don't want to drag it out. Okay. Uh, it's just the, the staff they hire are terrible. Do they know anything write... about games? Right, I'll just tell you what happened earlier. Uh, they have this Gamescom deal where you uh, trade in like really crappy games and you get any new game for 10 quid. Okay. Uh, so I brought in three games. It was like some games I bought for like a tenner and uh -huh. I brought them up to the till and they didn't have a clue how to scan in the games, how to activate <laughs> the deal. Incompetency and, uh, is what you're saying. Oh, it was a nightmare. I was in there for about an hour trying to explain how to do their job because I already done it with someone else. Like I oh. got this deal before. <laughs> and uh, you're on, the girl at the till was like, oh, yeah, we'll just ring the manager. She said to ring if there was a problem. So she rings the manager. Oh, her phone's off the hook. <laughs> so then she tries to ring someone else at the GameStop. You know the way they have their own phone? That broke. So... They couldn't ring out. Uh, she went to scan in something else. The till was broke. Oh, God. Oh, that sounds like it might they, just be an isolated case, though. I mean. Oh, and they were new as well. They literally started. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Really, I know. It's <laughs> I guess when you started telling the story that they were new employees. Yeah, literally new. And it was like, oh, they weren't showing how to work at them. Because it's not like a normal till anymore. It's, you know, like a, a Mac sitting in front right, of you. Right, right. Yeah, with like a little thing to swipe your card or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it yeah. is everywhere now. And then I asked, uh, yeah, I want to get like a Pokemon Shield pre-owned. And then she goes, what console? And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, like, oh, do Oops. you want that on the Xbox or the PS4? And yeah. I'm like, it's on neither of those. But let's, let, look, let's assume that they have competent people working in the stores. Because I will say this, in the U.S., for the most part, they do. They do have people who play games and people who like games and people who That's, probably yeah. aren't as knowledgeable as we are, but they're probably knowledgeable enough. So yeah, let's assume that that, that is ground zero. What can they do besides have better staff to stay alive? I uh, need to get rid of the 20 questions when you're buying something. Yeah. I agree with you that. know, I'd like to buy this, and then it's like, do you want that? Do you want? Do you have uh, game protection over there? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. look, it, it, if I wanted something else, it would be sitting on the counter. Yeah. I mean, if uh, I want to buy something else, I take it to the counter with me and I buy it. 
I, I don't mind when they do it if it's something that's not blatantly advertised where it's like, oh, if you spend an extra five, you get like the special edition of sure, the game sure. you're already or if buying. They, or they say like, hey, we have a special right now where you can get the second game for a half price. I'm cool with that. Yeah, that that's fine. But the game protection thing always annoyed me because it was like, oh, you need this. The game's going to break. and It's a Blu-ray. I could stand on it and slide across the floor and it won't break. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, so less questions at the thing. counter. What else can they do? Uh, the pricing. I how how much of a markup is a game over there in GameStop? What do you mean by markup? Like uh, a used game? Like, well, you have other stores, I presume, that sell games, yeah. Yeah, they're all the price the same. Yeah. It's stores here. Oh, so it's like a standard price. Yeah, I mean, you, no matter where you go, you pay fifty nine ninety nine for most games. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know in Europe it, it fluctuates, which is bizarre. But yeah, here it's all standardized. Yeah, so what's killing our game stuff is all their games is 75 euro, <laughs> which is what, about 88 dollars. Yeah, well, now it would have been more like six months ago, but the exchange yeah, rate is fluctuating so much. That's not. Uh, it's actually seventy on the store, the PSN and Xbox store as well, for some mad reason. But uh, we have two other stores called Argos and Smiths, and the uh, new games there are always twenty, twenty-five cheaper, and that's what's killing our games up here. Because someone else is undercutting the price. But they're not undercutting. They're just selling it for the actual, you know, proper how much it should be. It's just GameStop market to insane. Oh, they're charging yeah. more. For what? And <laughs> for, their, of, for the premium you know, experience folks. of going in and getting harassed? <laughs> oh, there's never anyone in there. It's just uh, anytime I walk by it when I'm going to wherever, it's just tumbleweed in the store. What do you think of my idea of creating kind of like a little hangout area or a lounge in there for people to just hang and play games? Uh, we already have kind of kiosks set up in every store. Yeah, I mean, they have those too at GameStop, but there are these things yeah. that Nintendo and Sony send them, and you have to stand there, stand up, the controller cords are like a foot long, it's awkward and weird, yeah. and, and they're always by the front door, so if people are walking by, they can see you like playing like, like I would even recommend putting up like a little divider or something in the store so that you have a little privacy in that hangout area, so it literally feels like a living room with your gamer bros and sisters playing games together. Do you think that would work? Uh, not really. I don't kind of go somewhere for that. I just want to go in and buy a game and leave and then go home and actually play it in my living room. Well, what about if you put the counter where you pay for games right in the front? So uh, people are... like you who just want to walk in and buy a game can do it and you can walk out and then the lounge and the hangout stuff is in the back. Our stores are laid out differently than yours, I presume. Uh, our tills are in the middle, like a circle. And then you walk around the whole shop, like the whole oh, really? all the walls are, yeah, all the walls are games. So it's almost like uh, a uh, like the Best Buys used to be, where they kind of force you through this maze until you can get to the counter. Oh, no, it's not a maze. It's just like, uh, it's just open. And then the till is like this little circle hub. Uh, I don't know. See, I don't know stores in America if there's anything like it. It's just... Well, see, the, you know, every store in America has the cash register at the back of the store. Because yeah, we, if you look at data, they say that if you force people to walk through the store before they can pay, they'll pick up more stuff along the way and they'll spend more money. Yeah, we do have some stores like... Uh, some GameStops like that. Most stores are like that. But other GameStops, uh, 
they're all getting transitioned into this kind of open plan way. So you'd have all your phone goes here, you'd have the PC stuff down the back and the consoles to your left, and then the till is just in the middle. Gotcha. And it's like a circular till, so it doesn't matter what part you go to, they can serve you. So even though you you wouldn't do that, and you don't want to hang out and play games with people, do you think other people might? And it might help them sell more games, and it certainly, at the least, maybe elevate the general opinion of that store among gamers. It might help with their opinion, you know, people are, oh, it's great GameStop, go here. But then you have to think how much would it cost for GameStop to do this? And then would it actually sell more games? Because, you know, some people go, oh, I really want to play uh, Control. I don't know why I just thought that. Because it's coming out soon. Yeah, and then they sit down and go, oh, this is actually crap. And then they don't buy it. Or if they didn't get to try it, they'd already have bought it and left and went home and realized it was crap. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're just assuming the game's crap. Like, oh, no, uh, ultimately, the products example. have to stand on their own two feet. Either they're good or they're not. But you can't hide oh, from yeah. that anymore. Like, you can go on your phone and look at a review for Control, and you'll know before you walk in the store whether it's good or bad, according to that critic, anyway. Yeah, I suppose it's kind of subjective if, you know, some person could think something's crap. And, and yeah, I mean, we won't get, there's we won't a lot get of games that. that I like that other people hate and vice versa, so... I just think if you're a retailer, you got to get people in the store. And most of the research that I read over the last couple of days preparing for this episode was that the way GameStop works is Fridays and Saturdays are insane, and the rest of the week, it's a ghost town. And so if you're yeah, trying but- to get people into your stores during the week when typically you're not selling much, to me, having some kind of a hangout or a lounge would go a long way towards doing that. But maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. No, no, our game stuff kind of does these little uh, events. I, it's not like you're talking about, you know, couches and stuff, but uh, when Rock Band relaunched, remember, uh, few, this is the first thing I could think of because I was buying it. They set up like a little Rock Band area for like a week or two weeks, uh-huh. and then everyone sits around and they all take turns and then that's you great. can buy it. To me, that's a great idea. But they idea. do that with every Guitar Hero for like the last 10 years. They've done it with DJ Hero. That's how I ended up buying it because I got to play it for like an hour. See, it worked. You played it a game work. at a GameStop and you bought it. Uh, I tried it with that Tony Hawk thing and oh I ended up buying it. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it for like 12 hours and then I was like, oh, just, yeah, goodbye. I use, <laughs> you want to know that. what I use that old Tony Hawk board for now? I just put it on the carpet in my apartment and I just practice tricks on it because it's not loud and like it doesn't have wheels. So I practice shove hits and like kick flips with it and like, it's funny. At least I'm getting some use out of that piece of junk. (laughs) Listen, Ian, thanks for calling in, man. You waited way too long to do that. That was a great call. I just didn't have Skype installed, you know? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you do. Call back when we do the next episode, please. Yeah, all right. Have yourself a good weekend, okay? Yeah, well, it's about midnight now, so. (laughs) Yeah, well, have another beer before you go to bed. Uh, I don't drink. (laughs) Oh, no? (laughs) No. I'm I'm smart. I save my money for other things. Okay. Games. Well, I'll, ha- I'll have one for you a little later. How's that? Yeah, make sure it's strong. I will. Absolutely. I'm Irish. You know? Okay. All right, good luck. I'll get a Guinness. Take care, uh, man. Yeah. All See right. ya. Bye. All right. Show is supposed to be 90 minutes. We just hit the two-hour mark. We got to call it there. So we're not taking any more calls uh, for this episode. This was the easiest episode We've done, for me. 
Uh, you guys just called in. I didn't even really have to ask for calls. This was great. Thank you guys all for participating. It uh, just shows, once again, how awesome our community is. Before I go, I do want to thank some folks who subscribed via Twitch Prime during the show. Um, Bunk Bunko gifted a sub to Ian McGar. Look at that. See? You come on today's high score, you get free stuff in our chat. Uh, who else? 15 Supermaster Gamer. Thank you. Appreciate it. Don Lionheart, thank you. So anyway, uh, before I go, Game Face on Tuesday, right back here at 1 p.m. Pacific. Um, as I had said on the last episode of Game Face, next weekend there will be no today's high score. Um, Game Face, we're probably still going to do an episode next week. It won't be on Tuesday because I don't land back in L.A. until Tuesday night. So we'll try to get an episode out to you guys like on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, while I'm gone for Labor Day weekend, there is going to be stuff rolling out on the site. There will be new content, uh, so don't fret. But I do want you guys to take the weekend off and spend it with friends and family um, because we all work way too hard. Let's just be honest. We all work way too many hours. We all dedicate way too much time to our jobs. Let's all take a weekend to kick the feet up, have a beer, have a hot dog, hang out with people that we care about, and call it a good time. So we'll see you guys back here for today's high score in two weeks, and we'll see you on Tuesday here for Game Face. Have yourself a great day.